Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys, so welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. Today, I've got somebody who I actually caught up with in Los Angeles last year, who's been a big advocate for the campaign and mental health awareness in itself. But before we get started and ask those all important questions, I'm just going to run a quick bio through. So... Camille Montgomery is an actress whose work spans film, television, and the stage. Her most recent work includes playing Carol Lombard in David Fincher's Mank alongside Gary Oldman and Amanda Seyfried. I'm filming with Diane Kruger and Kiernan Shika for the upcoming series Swimming with Sharks. At an early age, she was introduced to community theater and continued to study drama throughout high school as a member of the reputable Young Performers Theater. This led her to study at the British American Drama Academy in Oxford and receive a BA in acting performance at San Diego State University. She approaches each character without judgment, striving to explore the humanity in every role. She's appeared in Anti-Bullying and Donate Life's PSAs and is part of the global mental health movement called Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, which brings us here today. So, welcome to the show. <laughs> yes. And, uh, yeah, thank you for all that thank you, you do. Thank you so and, much, Glenn. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, we caught up, well, it should have been a year ago today. Like, it's, it's nearly December. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, yeah. I'm, <laughs> Time. I'm, just to, I'm just trying to think of recollecting, like, the dates when I was there, like, late November, December. I reached out to you, and, um, yeah, you saw the campaign, then we caught up. And first of all, I'll, I'll, I'll take it back to the beginning with your story, but... When I approached you and showed you the concept and, and showing you removing the highlight reels from social media, what did you initially think to kind of a new concept of bringing awareness to mental health? I, my gut reaction instantly was, oh, I want to be a part of this because I feel as though you were really creating space for people to take that veil away <laughs> and just really be honest and truthful about who they are. And um, I think as human beings, we all struggle with <laughs> depression, anxiety, and many different things. We're human beings, especially now that we're in lockdown. I think for all of us, our stuff has come up. And I feel the way you were doing it was so authentic and from your heart and just from a place of love. And I could tell that right away when you reached out, just the way you reached out to me, it was just very sincere. And right off the bat, I wanted to be a part of it. Um, I just saw through the photos, they're so powerful, the humanity and the rawness of each person that was involved. Well, so I definitely was good to come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And I mean, take yeah. it that day when you did come on, as I always say to people, I like people to go in almost a, a safe space where I don't direct. I just stand back with the camera and get you to go into kind of, a little space of when you was going through a hard time yourself. Now, I always say, what was your response when you saw the images to see yourself taken back to a space where you was going through your own struggles? It was, it was painful to a degree. It brought up, it, it made me see myself almost 
from above, obviously, because I'm looking at a picture. So there was sadness and pain just to see. I almost felt like I was looking at a picture of myself when I was a kid. Um, it felt very vulnerable, but I also felt there was a freedom to it as well. There was a, I no longer felt this need to hide that. I felt exposed, but in a safe way. Um, but it was really interesting when I first saw it, it was, it was painful because I, I reconnected to that space. Um, but then at the same time, I also felt I don't have to hide this. And I also felt, oh, this is, this is, um, this isn't who I am. This is a part of my experience. This is, so that was very freeing way because I think when I've been in a place of depression and anxiety, it feels overwhelming where it feels, it feels as though that's who I am. And I think to have those moments where I can back away and almost say, oh, that's a part of my life and my experience. And that's something I've been through, but that is not all of me. So that was really, really powerful to see the images. And I was proud of it too. I was proud of my experience in that way. I was proud to feel connected to those more challenging parts of life <laughs> and, um, and to see that I'm part of a bigger thing. Like we all experience that. Like, and as you've shown through the campaign, so many people, really, I think everyone to a degree goes through different versions of this, but it made me feel more connected to myself and to everyone around me. That's a great feeling. And what, what was the response initially to the close people around you that would have seen your image go out? And also strangers, because you are in the limelight, you are, you are an actress, well-known. So, I mean, what was the response like? That was powerful as well. Every, the response was great. Everyone who reached out to me was very surprised because a lot of people who are, who are close to me and people I've worked with had no idea that I've struggled with depression and anxiety and all these different things. Um, but I feel they felt more connected to me and they also, they were very, um, very kind and loving and accepting. I, I felt seen, which was really nice because I think when you're going through those challenging moments, you feel, you can feel invisible and very small, um, especially when you don't speak out about it and you don't feel worthy in those experiences to share that with the people around you. So to share, finally share something like that in the form of an image. And I think we also, we talked a bit and there was a, a few quotes it was very powerful. Yeah. So many people reached out to me, friends, acquaintances, people I've worked with before, strangers sharing their experience. And that felt really, it was really wonderful. I'm, I'm so grateful for that. But isn't it so beautiful that you just said there, like it's, it's something that we all struggle with at one time or another, whether directly, indirectly, and we keep it hidden. Whereas as soon as you expose yourself to that, yeah. People just reached out and they connected. And I think that's the whole notion with the campaign. It's like taking it back to the ultimate form of communication, storytelling. We've all got a story. And I think yeah. that way you just said they're so beautiful. And the amount of people that has been attached to the campaign that have shared it have said very similar things, like people just reaching out. And myself, even my cousin, who I used to look up to, reached out to me and he was like, I'm so proud of you for what you're doing. It was like, I struggled with anxiety for a long time and never told anyone. And this was a guy like 
I always wanted a brother growing up because I had a sister and I was like, I wanted the cool older brother. And um, not to say my sister weren't cool. Yeah, me too. You know what I mean? I <laughs> that could be, take you out in the car while you were young. So cool. yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, when he said that to me, I was like, wow. Like just, it, it's just a, it's an amazing thing to hear. And I mean, so people predominantly know you from a lot of your work as an actress. You do a lot more with your advocacy towards things. But I mean, let's take it back from the beginning for anybody of my listeners that may, may not know how you started within this career. Obviously, I said a little bit in your bio, but take us back to what first got you into kind of a career of the arts and then how you've navigated, because that in itself, I always say to a lot of people in entertainment on this podcast comes with it a lot more struggles that people don't see because of the highlight of what we see through media. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, well, I started acting when I was in fourth grade. So I was about, I was, I guess, eight, eight or nine years old. And I always knew when I was young, I always knew I wanted to be an actress. I would write that on my school papers when I was really young. In fact, I was like, I want to be an actress or a writer or both. And um, so I want to say when I was about eight, I told my parents, I said, I want to take an acting class. So I started taking classes then. And then I started doing theater and I got involved in this young performers theater, which is a, a big theater um, in San Francisco back then. And, um, and so I was a part of their ensemble cast, I would say, and I would do shows. I would do about, I would do two shows a day, Thursday through Sunday. Um, I think it was. And I loved it. I loved theater. I was, it was my, I would say my safe space. I was definitely a very sensitive kid. And, um, but I felt this sense of freedom when I was on stage. I felt as though I could explore all these different parts of myself. And I, t I was drawn towards the quirkier roles. I never got the pretty girl role or any of the, really any girl roles for a really long time. It'd always be like a lost boy or like <laughs> some kind, or like the crazy, the crazy mother or something. Um, and I remember at first I was frustrated. I was like, why can't I be the princess? But then I, I think I finally would get chances to be the princess. And I was like, oh, this role is so boring. And I always wanted to be the like really quirky off role. Um, because that just, there was so much freedom in that. I could just be, just allow myself to be more freely, I felt. Um, and so that was always a, a really wonderful place, just being in the theater. Um, I loved it. And I actually, I became somewhat depressed when I was a teenager because I was bullied in school. And, and I never really felt it in, um, which I think is, I can't even imagine now for kids because I mean, in my experience and from everyone I talked to, most people were bullied when they were kids, especially in middle school and high school. And um, I can't even imagine what it's like now with the internet and everything or just with like social media. But I took it very personally. I think it was my, I was so sensitive and it was by my friends. Um, so I thought I took on this belief that there was something wrong with me, that that I wasn't perfect. And then I had all these flaws. And when I was a teenager, I became pretty depressed, but I don't, didn't know I was depressed because I wasn't aware of what that was necessarily. So 
I had a lot of trouble with like sleeping and then I was really depressed and I had anxiety and I got to the point in high school where I would just come home after school and lie on the couch all day. I like couldn't move because I was so depressed and my parents would try to help me. They didn't really know what to do. They were frustrated, but they also felt bad for me, but they just didn't really know what to do. And um, then I finally told them, I said, I need help. I need to go to therapy. I need to get some kind of help. So I started going to therapy, which was very, very helpful. And um, then I went to a psychiatrist and they put me on a bunch of medication, which was very challenging because it's it took a long time to find something that worked. So most of my high school experience, I feel like I was very drugged, <laughs> very just like out of it, mm. um, which was a challenge. And um, finally, I found a mixture of things that did help me at the time and did were significant. And um, I'm not a huge, I'm not against medication because I think it's very beneficial. And I, I think, but I agree. I was listening to one of your pie and about your experience with that. And I think that it's good to find tools outside of that because to me, medication is very beneficial. And for some people it's helpful permanently, but for the most part, I think it's something that helps while you try to understand like where the root problem is. Mm. And um, it did help me for a time, but I think because of that experience, I, it was very important for me and it has been important for me in my life to feel because for a big part of my life, I didn't, I was kind of numb and I was so sensitive and I always felt everything, which was part of why I had anxiety and why I was so, why I became depressed because I would just feel everything a bit too much. And I would be taking the bus as a teenager and I'd see this like sweet old man and I'd come up with a whole story about how his wife died and I'd just like be crying. <laughs> I just like li lived in this place where I was like feeling everything and almost too sensitive and also clearly making up stuff that was like painful. And, um, but I, I do feel it's very important to feel it, to feel into our experiences because when that was taken away from me for a bit, when I was so drugged and numb, um, that felt worse than feeling in, in my experience. And, um, so those, that medication really did help me. And even through all that time, I was still doing theater, but I was a bit out of it. I wasn't as present as I would like to be. And it was, it was hard. It was hard to even show up for the things that I loved. And, um, yeah, it's hard to show up when you're not feeling well. And, and also I, I hit it. I got very good at hiding um, because in my, as a teenager, that wasn't the coolest thing <laughs> to be depressed. And I didn't feel comfortable talking about it with my friends because I myself didn't quite know what was going on. I didn't understand why I was so sad all the time and why I didn't have any energy and why I felt that way. And um, and I remember too, my way of dealing with it was by putting it back on myself. So I was very, I became very critical of myself because um, that was the way I knew how to deal with it was, was just by, I know you shared your experience about body dysmorphia and 
I had a lot of that. I, I, I remember my mom bought me this mirror that you could see every single thing in <laughs> every single pore, everything. Um, I think for Christmas, she bought me this reflective, like this mirror that you could see way too close to your face. And I would come home after school and just look in that mirror and like just pick apart every single problem. Um, so I got very obsessive. That was my other way of, of dealing with it. And I started hurting myself. And there were a lot of self-sabotage type things that I did that at the time made me feel better because I didn't have the tools, the self-tools that were beneficial. I just knew I didn't feel good. There's something wrong with me. I have to try to fix it. And then in turn, I'd hurt myself to try to feel almost have the inside feel the way the outside was. Um, and I went through a lot of my life, like through being a teenager and being really sensitive um, through even like college struggling with depression and, and all these different, different things and being on antidepressants and all this different medication. And eventually it stopped working and it kind of, I had another dip down after that. And, um, but I didn't want to go back on medication just because I, it did help a lot, but it also had a lot of side effects that I, I didn't love. And so I spent a lot of time um, reflecting and, and part of my acting experience too and being in the theater was was contributing to my mental health because I got the chance to explore humanity and, and these parts of myself that were even in pain, playing these different roles that were experiencing similar things or or even playing a role that was so someone who was just full of life when I didn't feel that way, which was very challenging, but it was such a gift. And so often my life coincided with the roles I was so I got this chance to feel all that I was feeling in a safe place, which was this role and express that part of myself in this role. And I, I also was very curious. My dad is a total hippie <laughs> and, um, is he's been like such a teacher for me. He, he's a musician. And I remember when I was a teenager and really struggling and crying, I was crying about something, some kind of school drama and my dad said your biggest strength is your sensitivity and it will be your biggest weakness and he didn't mean that it's bad to be sensitive but he just meant this is going to be your biggest challenge that you're going to take everything on take everything personally take feel it all and that's going to be really challenging and he's completely right i think it's it's such a gift um to feel and to connect with people and to share, to be empathetic, but it's so, it can be very painful to feel that deeply. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'm, I'm so grateful as, as challenging as it's been, I, I wouldn't ever want to trade that. And um, I think because of my dad and just the path that I've been on, I, a few years or several years ago, actually, I ended up taking a yoga teacher training, not because I wanted to be a yoga teacher. I remember I was very like, I don't want to be a yoga teacher, but there happened to be a yoga studio a block away from where I was living. 
And I had just started going there and taking classes and I saw they were doing a training a few days later. And it was such a whim that I signed up because I was at a point in my life where I just felt that I wanted to take responsibility for myself and learn to be in my body, learn to breathe, learn to just allow and surrender and trust a bit more. Because even though I was in a way better place at the time, I want to say this was about six or seven years ago, I still went up and down with depression and anxiety. And obviously being in this business, um, the entertainment industry, my career and my experience has been all over the place. It's been you'll book something and it's a great experience and you won't book anything for a while. Um, and it's always uh, a really beautiful lesson, a challenge, but a really beautiful lesson in letting go because you have no clue. You can walk into something and you can do what feels like the best audition of your life and you don't hear anything. And then you can walk in and be like, wow, that was horrible. And then <laughs> of course you're like, we want you right away. Yeah. And it's usually, that's usually how it works. And, um, which is so fascinating. And so I took this training because I was at a place where I just felt I needed to learn to be a bit more. And it was the biggest gift. I learned so, so much about obviously about yoga and spirituality, which I was interested in. I was a bit resistant to a lot of that. And I learned so much about myself and I've just continued that journey of learning and studying yoga and all different forms of meditation. Um, so many, I, I love, I don't know if you know Ram Das. He's yeah. this, yeah, I'm just constantly, I love, just learning i think that i'm just and that's where i get so much joy and so much um i feel like that's part of my mental health is to just constantly be reading and learning and listening to podcasts listening to your podcasts listening to teachings so that i can surrender in a sense to my humanness i guess if if that makes sense um the parts of me that feel really not broken because I don't think we're, any of us are broken, but the, I guess more like the parts of me that feel challenged and the ego parts of me that feel like I need to get something or be a certain way. When I listen to Ram Dass or read a book or learn or listen to your podcast, I feel more connected more in tune with myself and and then I just in turn end up showing up more to every role I play, every conversation I have to with my family and friends. And I I just feel more alive and present when I do that. I you know what though, like so it's been a journey. Oh sorry. Um just listening to that, it's kind of because I'm very empathetic as well. So I totally get yeah. what you mean, but I really pick up on, so I've got three short questions for you, but yeah. one I just wanted to touch base on there was that what I've noticed, even when I listen back to these podcast episodes and listen to everyone's story again, just to take in further things, I always pick up commonalities. I always do. And mm -hmm. being that empathetic side, even listening to you then, I'm like, I, I'm just listening so intently because I'm like, 
this is another one that was sat on the fence with spirituality unlearned, un until she learned to surrender and learn about herself. And that's been my journey. That's been every single person that's pretty much come on this podcast. And I was resistance to spirituality. And I'm not kind of saying, because some people are like, oh yeah, whatever. But even take spirituality away <laughs> and, and, and look inwards. Because like you said there, medication has its place. But the question that came from what I was about to yeah. speak on then was, did you find that when you went within, that you found that trigger point for you, where all this stemmed from? Yes, I feel, I felt when I started to do more of this spiritual work and yoga even, and yoga is not necessarily even spiritual. Yoga, I mean, originally it was, but yoga has very much become more of a physical practice. But when I did just all of this self-work, I, I did start to realize where it's from. And I think too, when I was in that place of deep depression and anxiety, my world was so small where I was, and granted, when you're in that place, it's really hard to see outside. So I totally do understand how challenging it is. But it, it's almost, I imagine like being in like a tiny little ball, like covering your head because your world is so much about everything you're doing and you don't see anymore outside of yourself. And when I started to do that work, it's almost like I could see myself from above and I could see how much bigger the world was than just my issues. And that's what I'm constantly reminding myself that the world is so much bigger than me. And it's not to diminish my experience by any means, because this is my experience in this body and this, this is my experience. But at the same time, I feel like the world is a lot bigger than just me. It's almost when you look up at the stars and you, you see there's so much outside of what we know. Mm. We, you see this, like this universe, the stars and the planet, all these different planets and all these different things. And you can't even comprehend what's out there. But in my, when I do that, I, I feel so small, but also so like I'm a part of this huge thing. And that's what started to happen. I started to realize I'm a part of such a bigger thing than my, my problems and my depression. It was, it's life is so much bigger than that. And I still struggle. I will go, you know, because it's a practice. I'm all these different tools I've found that have helped me. I have to practice them all of the time because if I go just a few days without doing certain things, without moving and um, maybe listening to a podcast or a teaching or doing some kind of writing or a dance class or yoga or something. If I, if I don't do these practices religiously, I slip back into that. I can easily go back into that place where I'm just thinking and my thoughts are circling and I'm feeling less than it's, you know, it's a, it's a constant practice. Um, and I think that's, what's so beautiful too about being a human is that we have always going to be working on. We're working ourselves and it's never ending. Always, always. One of the questions that I picked up on there when you was talking about, and it always fascinates me with acting, is that because of that empathetic side, when I watch somebody act or I watch something, I, I, I kind of 
connect with the character and think that person's been through something. So to me, there's acting, then there's acting. Like to the point where it's, they've gone so deep within that character that they felt that at one time or another. Either that or they're very, very good at what they do. But for me, I always pick up on that. (laughs) When a lot of actors come on this podcast and talk about this and say one of the reasons they love to immerse themselves in a character is because they can get lost in it and they can bring it out. However, what I've just picked up on, I've never asked this question, is did anybody around you pick up on that you must have been struggling through you portraying and putting everything into a character? Because that's fascinated me, just thinking about it, just going, because I can imagine you getting this role of somebody who's struggling and because you are yourself, you'd have mm-hmm. gone, like, did anyone pick up on that kind of energy or like, and say? I feel people did. And especially I remember in high school in The Crucible, which I feel like is a play that everybody does in high school, but I played Mary Warren and she was very sickly and um, she was definitely very disturbed. And I think a lot of people, I remember people were a bit disturbed by how, how much I was immersed in that. And I almost, I was like sick at the time. I feel like I like made myself almost like sick in that role. And I was struggling. I was, that's when I was first become aware of that I was depressed and really struggling. And I think I was on medication at that time, but it was making me feel really sick. And I remember a lot of people were aware that that was, it was almost disturbing the juxtaposition of how I was, I was the character because when I wasn't on stage, I'd go outside, I'd have to like sit outside and breathe because I was so in it, but also in my stuff, it was like, I was her. It was very, very challenging. So I think people did pick up on that. And I think I've had some incredible acting teachers. Right now I have a wonderful teacher named Larry Moss, who's the most extraordinary person and teacher. And he is constantly, the, the way he teaches, he's so loving and he, he's so intuitive where he just knows what you need as a human and as an artist. And he will constantly tell me things. It's like he can like read my soul <laughs> because he's constantly telling me things to work on. And I remember at one point in a scene, he told me to stop and take a deep breath. And he said, I want you to just say, I am enough. He said, I want you to say, I am enough for anybody. And I remember I was just crying because I think it's very, very challenging to really fully, fully believe that. I think, especially, I mean, as a kid, I didn't believe that. I didn't believe I was enough. And that I still a pra- something I'm practicing and every day I have to remind myself that I'm enough. And I have a wonderful friend. She's a hypnotherapist. and She's helped me a lot and helped pretty much all of my friends. All of my friends go to her now. She's incredible. And she, she's always teaching me and telling everyone that consciously, our conscious mind only makes up 12% of our mind and the rest of it, 88% are subconscious. But all these messages we took on when we were kids and throughout our lives in our subconscious. So I might every day see the affirmation, I am enough, but if I don't really, really believe it deep down in my subconscious, 
it won't do anything. So we have to like get deep in there and rewire what we've held on to these stories that aren't, that aren't true, but we've just, for some reason through our childhood or experiences, we've decided that this is our story, but we can change our story. We can, we can really do whatever we want, which is so fascinating about human to see that really we're capable. So, you know, when you, um, when you, when you initially, because you said it earlier, you touched on it, you told your parents. Firstly, where did you get to in that space where you felt you just needed to offload? And then what, if anybody's listening out there, just at the point of going, I really need to tell someone that's still scared, because I know you said you hid it for quite some time. I did mine. But can you explain the, what prompted you to do that? Yeah. What was the feeling when she, uh, once, <laughs> once you did that? Yeah. Um, well, I was in a very bad place at that point. I, like I said, I, I would just come home every day after school. I, I went through a few different phases. I went through a phase where I was just very obsessive. Um, and I would like look in the mirror and basically, you know, do all kinds of things to destroy my face and my body. And just because I was, didn't know what to do with myself. And then I went through a phase where I was just severely depressed and I would come home every day and lie on the couch and couldn't move. And I think I went through that phase for a while and it got to the point and I would just sit on the couch and I, I would cry or I'd just space out. I just hadn't really, I, nothing, I, I didn't know what to do and I couldn't do anything. I had no energy, but I could tell that my parents wanted to help. I could tell they were really worried, but they're also frustrated, but I didn't know what to do. And then I think finally, I just, there's something in me and I, I have this a lot where I won't know what to do or I'll hide or I'll shove something down. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I have to show up. And that's kind of what happened. I, I knew in myself, even in that dark place, that I had to be the one to ask for what I needed, which was help. <laughs> and I don't know if at that point I had moments where I thought about suicide. I never attempted suicide, but I, def- I thought about it a lot because when you're in that dark of a place, that kind of thing, comforting to feel like that's like a control for me. That was a control thing to know that that was an option, even though it's a, really not an option. You know, I don't think about that anymore and that, but, um, but at the time when I was in that dark place, I would think about it. I never attempted to do it. I would talk about it. I would tell them like that. I cry for help. Um, but yeah, I think it just came from this place in me that just knew I couldn't keep living like this. I had lived like this, what felt for an eternity, but really, who knows, it was maybe a, a year or two. Um, but I, yeah, I found someplace deep within, I was like, I need help. And that's all I said. I didn't even really know what that meant. I knew, I knew therapy was something that people did. I think, I think I, my parents were very open to therapy. Um, so I knew I, that was the only thing I could think of. I just went up to my parents and I was like, I need help. I really need help. I'm okay. I need to go to therapy. And my parents said, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out. Um, 
So they're very supportive. I think they just didn't know what to do fully. And I don't know if I even shared it with my friends very much. I, one of my best friends, who's like my sister, we, we went to preschool together and we know each other since we were three. She, I would talk to her about, about what I was going through. Um, but I kept it, I hit a lot. I, I hit a lot as, um, this, this part of my life. And because I hit it, there was a lot of shame I felt around it being depressed. And I remember there was a lot of shame around, um, taking antidepressants because I thought, Oh, I remember I thought there was something wrong with me mm. that I need to be on this. And I also didn't sleep. I had really bad insomnia. So I remember my friends would call me at like five in the morning because I was like the one that didn't sleep, which at, when you're a teenager, it's not the worst thing in the world, but, um, but it does catch up with you. I went two weeks at one point without sleeping at all. Wow. And um, yeah, it was awful. And I was, you know, when you're, when you don't sleep, you feel horrible and that adds to depression. And so um, yeah, I, I, my parents were very supportive. Um, they just didn't really know what to do. So I think it's, yeah, about taking that first step and knowing that there's so many different tools now too. There's therapy, there's hypnotherapy, there's, um, now we have like therapy on the online, you know, on the phone. <laughs> um, so that's nice that there are all these different options. There's cognitive behavioral therapy. I mean, there's so many different and I've done it all. <laughs> it's all wonderful, but it's, um, which is cool. And you find what works for you because, you know, one way might not for somebody else. So, yeah. and that, and that's what I love hearing you say, because yeah. that's one of my things with this podcast. It's going, just know that there is another day to try something else. Like you just said there, you tried a lot of them. Yeah. Like I, I saw a psychologist with the body yeah. didn't work, but then I saw somebody else and then he put me in touch with a personal trainer who'd gone through the similar thing, mixing that through communication because he'd gone through it, yeah. experience, and I could just offload and he understood it, mixed with cognitive behavioral therapy. It was like a win-win. So yeah, Wonderful. I just think it's so important just to keep on, keep on trying. And if that's what we can do, it, it's amazing. But um, yeah, I just think it's amazing what you've shared with everybody. I mean, you've come so far in what you've done and, and, and now you've done some incredible stuff and projects, which brought me to meet you in Los Angeles and through a mutual yeah. friend, Bob. Um, but tell me about those two projects that you just did before COVID. Yeah. So I was a part of this amazing film um, called Mank that David Fincher directed with Gary Oldman and Amanda Seyfried. And I'm, yeah, I'm I'm very excited about it. It's all about um, the writing of Citizen Kane, and it's black and white. It was filmed in black and white, and just being around, I, I had a very small part in it, but it was just such a fascinating experience to be around such masters. Gary Oldman is just a master at his craft, and so is David Fincher. Just he's so precise about how everything should look, and. Um, I think it's going to be an extraordinary film. I've seen a few clips from it at this point, just to be in Hollywood back then in the forties and to experience that. That's such a specific time of like the movie stars, Clark Gable, Carol Lombard, um, Betty Davis. I mean, Amanda plays um, 
Marion Davies and she's, she's extraordinary. So I think that's going to be really fun. It comes out December 4th on Netflix. Um, right now it's in the theaters, but with COVID, I don't know how many people can go to the theaters. So, <laughs> and then the other project I, I did, which was cool was, um, swimming with sharks is, it was originally for Quibi, which is, um, it was releasing like 10 minute episodes, but I think now, I don't know how, how they're going to release it, but it was through Lionsgate. And um, that story is pretty fascinating. It's um, a thriller that is all about, it's also about Hollywood, but it's modern day. And it is about a girl who starts interning for this high power executive of a production company and all the chaotic drama that happens behind the scenes, but it's very, very, um, it's, it's a thriller. It's, it's, there's violence and just very, when I read the script, I remember I was like, I couldn't even move. <laughs> I was so drawn into it. So I think that one's going to be incredible as well. But yeah. I was, I was really grateful to be a part of it. It was so fun. Two last questions then quickly. Yeah. I'll ask you, what does imperfectly perfect mean to you? Oh, being imperfectly perfect means to me, it means being perfect, perfect the way you are. I remember my grandma used to always tell me I was perfect when I was younger. She'd always call me perfect. And I'd say, grandma, I'm not perfect. <laughs> and I realized she just meant you're perfect exactly the way you are. And I think it's all about honoring where you're at on this journey. We always, I know I've done this and I think we tend to think that when we're in a certain place or once I have that, then I'll be able to be this way or then I'll be perfect or then I'll have this. But I think the real lesson is that we're where we're supposed to be and we're perfect in all of our stuff and all of our imperfections. They're beautiful and they're, we're exactly who we're supposed to be. We are perfect. Love it. Love it. And lastly, then, where can people find out more information <laughs> about you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. Please reach out. It's underscore Camille Montgomery. You can go to my website. It's just CamilleMontgomery.com. Or you can find out on IMDb the different projects I'm doing. So, yeah, please connect with me. Wow. Well, guys, that was tremendous. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Camille. I just want to say. Yeah, you too. Uh, on behalf of myself and the campaign for all you do and your advocacy towards mental health and sharing your story, I just want to say you're an amazing person, amazing advocate. Keep doing what you're doing and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Glenn, and thank you for everything you do. Seriously, you're such an inspiration and I'm so, so grateful to be a part of the campaign and to connect with you always. Anytime, mate, anytime. And guys, to listen to this episode and mm -hmm. any other episodes, simply go to Spotify or iHeartRadio, search for Imperfectly Perfect Podcast, and make sure you subscribe, share, and like. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.